Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about all the news that came out of the big presentation from HBO Max yesterday night. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so yesterday, at late afternoon... Uh, over on the Warner Brothers lot, they had a big press uh, thing for uh, analysts and stuff. That basically announcing the plans for HBO Max. This is HBO's new streaming service. It's the big Warner Media streaming service. And uh, there's a ton of announcements that were made during this presentation. And I think people are going to be interested about this because there's uh, some big things. I guess let's start first with some new shows that were announced for HBO Max and HBO. Uh, let's start, let's begin with the DC Universe and Green Lantern. Jacob, tell us about it. Yeah, Greg Berlanti, the godfather of the Arrowverse in the CW, which includes Arrow and The Flash and Supergirl and Legend of Tomorrow and Batwoman, he'll be producing a new Green Lantern TV show that will be exclusive to HBO Max. Um, there weren't a lot of details, and they actually had a video presentation that cut away for those of us watching the stream, only for the people in the room saw it, with Berlanti speaking at length. But what we know is that it will be a streaming series following Green Lantern, the DC comic superhero introduced in 1940, who has a ring of power, that is essentially powered by willpower to conjure anything in the imagination, and he's essentially a space cop flying around the galaxy, protecting planets, uh, teaming up with other superheroes and other Green Lantern um, um, core members to fight evil. And it's been eight years since the Ryan Reynolds movie came out and kind of stained this character for a while. But I do think that streaming may be the right choice for this character because the best Green Lantern stories are essentially space cop stories. You know, he solves crimes. He goes around and does cop things in space. And... Well, I guess what I'm most curious about, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, Peter and Ben, is that Berlanti has built this really incredible world in the CW, the Arrowverse. It has a passionate fan base. But uh, HBO Max kind of straddles the world between TV and film. So will be, is this Green Lantern going to be part of the Arrowverse, or is it going to be connected to 
Aquaman and Wonder Woman and all the big screen movies, or will it be its own thing? What do you guys think it's going to be? Oh, that that is a good question. I didn't even think about that. I will say this, though. The one thing that worries me about this is that Green Lantern is kind of like this big epic space opera. Like, it not only has big requires big effects because he's going in space but when he's on earth he's using his powers to big effect and i feel like a lot of those cw shows that you were referring to the visual effects budgets are very small so i'm 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 wondering is this going to have disney plus size budgets to make it seem like a big screen movie Uh, my guess would be yes my guess is that Warner Brothers knows they need to compete with Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, which looks like a friggin' movie. Uh, so, if Green Lantern is not gonna make, is not gonna get a big screen movie, like a new film starring whoever wants to part, <laughs> then I think they're gonna have to put a, a lot of money in this to make it look good. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Do you think? I feel like the, C, the CW shows have low budget, but they're big on personality and they have the fans love those characters and not special effects. Mm-hmm. So, so Ben, what do you think the approach here is? Do you think this is gonna be? More Arrowverse stuff or something bigger? Yeah, I feel like it's got to be something bigger. You know, like the splashy announcement timed with HBO Max and and Berlanti, I, I just remembered, was one of the writers of that Green Lantern movie that failed so drastically. So this is sort of like a, a, a second uh, attempt for him to get this character right. And I think, I think they have to take a different approach because, you know, for... I don't want to be dismissive of those CW shows because I know they have their audiences <laughs> and I've, I actually haven't even given a lot of them a try. So I might like them, but there's just something about the look and the overall quality level uh, of the VFX and stuff like that that you mentioned earlier, Peter, that I that has sort of kept me away from it. And I feel like if it was just another part of the Arrowverse, then there's no opportunity to really add new fans to it i think they have to do something big and and splashy and um you know something to attract new eyeballs but i i i want to go back to jacob's question of like could this be connected to the other dc films instead of the the tv universe and i would think no because i think uh warner brothers is trying to get away from this whole connected cinematic universe. They, I think they've realized that they cannot pull a Marvel. So they're just trying to make good things on their own. And then maybe later on they could connect in some way. Jake, yeah, what, that's what, kind of what I was thinking. Like the maybe later on thing. I don't, I don't think they're going to come out of the gate saying that it's connected, but you know, five years from now, if this show is still successful and going on and, and the movies are, are doing better and, uh, you know, general public uh, opinion seems to have turned a little bit more in favor to the DC movies. I I would not be surprised if they did, you know, a big surprise announcement like, oh, now everybody is going to be getting together for one big movie or something. Jacob, you posed this question, so you also have to answer it. Uh, my guess is that it will remain completely neutral until they decide to shift it one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so this is not the only uh, project, DC project, announced uh, for Greg. He was also announced an adaptation of Strange Adventures, which is something I don't even know about. Uh, ben, what is this? Yeah, so Strange Adventures is going to be an anthology series for DC on the HBO Max platform. Uh, the comic was first published in the early 1950s, and it was actually like a, a sci-fi series. It introduced... Uh, or I guess it had characters like um, Captain Comet and Adam Strange. And, and I think it actually did introduce the Enchantress, who was the, the villain in Suicide Squad a few years ago. Um, but this 
uh, version of the show is going to be an anthology an anthology series that is produced by Berlanti that will feature characters from across the DC canon. It's going to be a one-hour drama series that will explore close-ended morality tales about the intersecting lives of mortals and superhumans. So it's sort of... Um, you remember like that, I don't even remember what it was called, but that show that was sort of set in the DC universe where it was like set in an office building and like it was kind of oh, superhero yeah. related. It was like on NBC or something like that. It kind of sounds like it's that kind of thing, like mostly uh, regular people living in a world of superheroes, but an anthology format where different stories every week or every episode so um yeah i don't know anthology shows obviously are like huge right now so i don't think we've seen one in a in the superhero genre yeah. before maybe I'm, unless I mean, i'm missing one i mean marvel has announced the for animated the what if uh animated series which is oh, gonna right. be kind of an, an anthology series but I, i'm surprised that dc beat them to the live action punch because i feel like an anthology series is a great way to explore that universe and try out things and see what, you know, if people respond well to certain ideas and areas of that universe without having to, you know, spend the money that's required for like a huge big screen movie. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So, uh, I, P- Peter or Ben, did you ever read Marvel's, the comic book miniseries from, I guess, about maybe 20 years ago now? Mm. Oh, wait. No, it, I didn't. Is that by Alex Ross? Uh, Ash Ross did the art, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the gist of that series is that it is the history of the Marvel Universe spanning decades through the eyes of one photojournalist as he goes from being a young man to an old man watching all the superheroes come and go and the rise and fall of different characters and all the major events, but from the point of view of a guy on the ground living an ordinary life as a journalist trying to, you know, suss out all the craziness around him. Hmm. And I would wonder if Marvel would look at Strange Adventures and say, we can do that. We already have a comic that would be a great point, like a great POV for that. Because that's, that's that's what this pitch reminds me of more than anything. Hmm. I mean, I'd be down for that, and I'm interested to see what kind of strange adventures we can get ourselves into here. Uh, but let's talk about you know before we talk about the next announcement, let's talk about something that came yesterday after we recorded the podcast. There was news announced that the Game of Thrones prequel series was killed off at HBO. Jacob, what happened? Yeah, uh, the Hollywood Reporter had the story saying that the. Uh, the Game of Thrones prequel that was being showrun by Jane Goldman and starring Naomi Watts and was going to be set, you know, many, many, many thousands of years before the original series. Uh, apparently the pilot was filmed, it was turned in, it was re-edited, and nobody was happy, and they shut it down. And it was kind of shocking because I, because uh, Game of Thrones, the original show, famously had a terrible pilot. They almost read it from scratch with a new director and recasting. Uh, but apparently something here was broken that they either didn't want to or didn't need to fix. And... Uh, so I, I'm kind of flabbergasted. I, I'm wondering what was wrong here. If, if, if they, if the Game of Thrones name is so powerful and so strong and so lucrative, what was beyond fixing? Uh, but I think we had our answer later in the day, Peter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so t- t- tell us about. They announced a new Game of Thrones spinoff series. Yeah, this was actually uh, hinted at a few months ago, but it's become a, it's officially official. Um, they've canceled the Jane Goldman series because they're going forward with House of the Dragon, a completely different Game of Thrones prequel series. This one set 300 years before the events of the original series. Uh, and will follow House Targaryen. And this is interesting because uh, George R. R. Martin himself, the writer of Song of Ice and Fire, creator of Game of Thrones, he's a credited co-creator on this one alongside Ryan Condal. And Ryan Condal will be showrunner alongside Miguel uh, Sapochnik, who 
was a director of some of the biggest episodes of the, of the original series, including the Battle of the Bastards, which won him an Emmy, and also the uh, infamous Battle of Winterfell, the one that was underlit. <laughs> but but um, so my initial reaction is, oh, cool, more Game of Thrones and you know ancient history Targaryens, and this is loosely loosely or somehow based on George R. R. Martin's book Fire and Blood which is less of a novel and more of a fake history of the Targaryen uh, house and their time leading up to the conquering of Westeros. So essentially we're getting a series about how the Targaryens arrived in Westeros and conquered seven kingdoms on the backs of their dragons and became, you know, the first proper dynasty ruling over these desperate lands. So there's, there's a lot of really cool history here. I will be that guy who is annoyed that Ryan Condal, whose credits include Hercules and Rampage, got his Game of Thrones prequel series going where Jane Goldman, a far more interesting uh, writer with far more interesting credits uh, and her female-driven sh- series got canceled. So part of me is going to be annoyed that the show that was ad- addressing what people were annoyed by, which was the lack of female POV on this world, gets shut down. And once we're getting this white guy-led series from, from the guy who created Rampage, it, it could be good. It could be good. Uh, George R. Martin's closely involved. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff here. I'm all for more stuff set in Westeros. I'm all for seeing this world told from a point of view that's not Benioff and Weiss, even though I don't <laughs> hate them like so many people do. But um, So here's my question. Uh, ben, you're the other big Game of Thrones guy. Mm-hmm. Are my concerns warranted? Are you excited? What's going on here? You know, it's the same kind of thing that happens with Star Wars all the time. Every time a new Star Wars director is announced and it's not, uh, you know, it's another white guy, you sort of have that same feeling of like, yeah, this is, you know, there's a lot of potential here because this person is clearly talented and, and has established themselves as whatever, uh, you know, a, a worthwhile storyteller. But at the same time, you kind of just wish that somebody else would get a shot and they would open the door. And because we don't know what we don't know, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, we don't know what kind of stories we could be getting with uh, storytellers who aren't more of the same. So I, I feel what you're saying, certainly. And it's also kind of a bummer, too, because I what I understand of uh, Jane Goldman's show that is no longer happening, it was supposed to be much more wide ranging in terms of like the cultures of Westeros and Essos. And they were going to be casting a lot of different type of people from, you know, different island nations and stuff like that to, uh, to, I guess, correspond with some of the more exotic locales of, uh, the fictional world in the show. And now that it's just going to be about the Targaryens, the Targaryens are like traditionally a very white family. So the most um, Aryan of the yeah, Westeros. It, it seems like another sort of quasi missed opportunity there. Although this is going to be, you know, more focused on the specific story that they're telling, but just, yeah. you know, f- from a bird's eye view perspective, it is a little bit of a bummer, but again, I'm, I'm keeping an open mind just like you. I'm, I'm excited about seeing what they have to offer and I'm excited about Martin's uh, involvement directly and all that kind of stuff too. But um, yeah, it's just sort of a, another one of those instances where it seemed like a door was going to be open and then it kind of clicked shut just at the last minute. Yeah, and I'll complain about Miguel Sapochik's uh, um, directing in that Battle of West, uh, the Battle of Winterfell episode, but I can't, like he did um, Battle of the Bastards, he did... Um, the battle beyond, um, goodness, uh, help me uh, out here. Hard home, hard home. I think, think. He, yeah. did, he did hard home. He did some of the most spectacular episodes of of the series, like in terms of visuals and action. And him being a co showrunner on this, I mean, and directing the pilot and directing the rest of the uh, not, not a whole season, but episode more episodes, is very very interesting. And unlike the other spinoff, this has been ordered to direct the series, meaning that HBO has ordered ten episodes. There won't be a pilot where they reassess things. They're going to shoot alternate episodes no matter what. So. They're going all in on this. So 
we will see House of the Dragon. Probably not next year, but I imagine 2021, Ben. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. And we were watching this live stream yesterday, and I, uh, you know, every, every year I go to CinemaCon, and last year, Ben, you were there. And mm-hmm. at CinemaCon, like, usually throughout the year with movies, everything is geared towards like an art like artistic and create creativity like how it's presented but at cinemacon it's all about making monies at the concession stands getting more butts and seats and watching the stream yesterday was kind of interesting because it was geared towards the investors and they show at one point showed this graph this uh of like the four quadrants of audiences and where each of the shows that they were going to have on HBO Max fit onto that graph and how they were going to be able to reach all four quadrants with all their programming. It was just kind of interesting to see things be, I mean, obviously we know that's like things are planned in that kind of way and it's, it's very calculated in that kind of way, but it was interesting to see that side of things because I'm sure usually that side of things is not kept out, you know, it's kept beyond uh, the, the studio walls and we don't mm-hmm. get to see that kind of thing. Um, but okay, let's talk about some of the old shows in movies that are going to be on HBO Max. Uh, they're they announced a bunch of new things here, uh, in terms of uh, library content. Uh, well, let's start off first with the, the collection of classic movies. Uh, Ben, what do we know here? Yeah, so Warner Media is the ultimate parent company that HBO Max falls under. And another, I guess, brand under that same corporate umbrella is TCM, Turner Classic Movies. And so uh, on HBO Max, we're going to see uh, a bunch of Turner Classic Movies projects, uh, movies or, you know, content that would have been on that network or maybe will still be on that network. Um, HBO Max is teaming up with them to present films like Casablanca, Citizen Kane, The Shining, Star is Born, Singing in the Rain and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Those are the, the big ones that they mentioned to start. They also say there's going to be many more among those featured titles. Um, They have worked with the experts who, uh, you know, work at TCM and uh, have been for 25 plus years to create uh, this curated collection of what they're calling the best classic films anywhere. And I feel like the Criterion channel may have something to say about that because that's like an entirely niche service devoted specifically to classic films. And they have a pretty staggering breadth of options there. But I mean, you know, putting that aside, the Warner library is very impressive, especially when it comes to older movies. So I'm excited that they are at least looking at this as being important enough to announce and and hopefully, you know, use as part of their selling point um, to get people to pay attention to some of these older movies that a lot of folks have never seen before, but are just waiting to be, you know, watched and loved by everybody. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, once we finally get numbers and a list of, like, the movies on the service and what, you know, it's going to be moved on and off the service from month to month, what we're going to see. And also, I'm I'm also wondering what kind of, uh, you know, we'll talk about curation later, but I'm wondering what kind of supplemental material they're going to give. Because one thing I do like about the Criterion channel is they kind of, like, they do these filmmaker interviews. They do – like, they get people, like – they find ways of getting you to care about movies that you might have not seen or heard of before. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's the problem when you're looking at a a wall of tiles. And we'll, we'll also talk about that later as well. Is like, you know, what what do what is worth watching out of, you know, this collection? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, but let's let's move on to adult animated. They made some big news here of, of what they're going to have on their collection. Jacob, tell us about it. Yeah, uh, two big animated shows with very strong followings are going to be screaming exclusively on HBO Max. The first of those is Rick and Morty, uh, you know, the, the show that only the smartest people in the world can understand because the humor is so sophisticated. Uh, you know, I'm joking. I, I love Rick and Morty, but its <laughs> fan base is the worst. Um, but anyway, the first three seasons will be available to stream when uh, HBO Max launches with future seasons being added there as well. I think the fourth season arrives in the next month. And, of course, this is uh, – very funny show, a very smart show, a very scatological show uh, with an extremely, like, passionate following. And I, it, it, feel, it feels like a very good move to put it here because the people who like watching Rick and Morty never stop talking about Rick and Morty. So they're going to need to go to HBO Max to get their Rick and Morty fix ongoing. The other show uh, is South Park, which has been on for 22 years. And a few weeks ago, we reported that uh, there was a deal in the works uh, where South Park would be... So an anonymous suitor could pay up to $500 million for the streaming rights. And although they did not share those numbers during this event, uh, Warner, Me- Warner Media did announce that South Park will be moving the stream exclusively on HBO Max away from Hulu. So we know they spent a lot of money. They spent like Friends and Big Bang Theory level money on South Park, 22 seasons of it. So I feel like they're trying to really corner the uh, adult animation uh, niche here. Uh, as somebody who loves Rick and Morty but hasn't watched South Park in about a decade, uh, I'm a little mixed on this news. I don't think I'm ready to revisit South Park, but I do think I'm. I would put on Rick and Morty in the background. What do you guys think about these two? Um, I, I do think this is HBO's way of competing against Disney Plus, having all of the years of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I'll be watching either of these. Uh, ben, how about you? Uh, I don't have any intention to rewatch South Park, but I've never really jumped on the Rick and Morty train. So maybe if I end up subscribing to this, then uh, maybe I'll give that a shot. You know, there was a bunch of other shows and movies that they announced yesterday that are probably not worth like talking about in depth. I know, Ben, you have a whole complete list of all the original shows and movies that were announced for HBO Max, uh, I'll link that in the show notes. But I was wondering if you could go over some of the more interesting n- new things that were announced. Uh, new things. Well, Ridley Scott is developing a show called Raised by Wolves. I think he's going to be producing and directing this. Um, Aaron Guzikowski, I think might be how you pronounce his name. He's the guy who behind Prisoners is going to be the showrunner. And this show is going to be centering on two androids tasked with raising human children on a, mis- a mysterious virgin planet. As the burgeoning colony of humans threatens to be torn apart by religious differences, the androids learn that controlling the beliefs of humans is a treacherous and difficult task. So that's the official logline of Raised by Wolves. And this is going to be so a that's... TNT show at first, right, Ben? I think that's true, yeah. And yeah. now they're they're jumping it over to HBO Max. So I, I think that maybe speaks to the the uh, confidence that these um, executives have in the concept. Maybe. But by, by the way, that sounds potentially awesome. That sounds yeah. like what uh, you said. This is from Ridley Scott. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's, dra- he's directing the whole series, I believe. And uh, I'm not I'm not sure he's not a showrunner, but he's uh, making his grand TV directorial debut with this. Well, it seems like he's kind of dealing in some of the same ideas that he wanted to get at with Prometheus. And this sounds like it might be a better franchise to do it with. Yeah, especially now that Prometheus is and and like Alien and all that stuff is under the Disney umbrella. He might not have the opportunity to make any more of those movies. So that's been something that uh, Ridley Scott has been interested, you know, a theme that he's been 
covering uh, for years and years yeah. and years in his film work. So it's no surprise to see him explore something like that um, in a in a show like this. I think the other big one that may be worth mentioning here is called Tuned Out, and it's uh, it comes from Robert Zemeckis, and it says that this is uh, a new series from visionary director Bob Zemeckis called In the Vein of Bob's Classic Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's called Tuned Out which merges animation and live action, but with the cast of Looney Tunes characters. So we don't know any specifics beyond that at all, but just knowing how much I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit and, uh, you know, we, we've talked, I feel like we've talked a lot about Zemeckis recently on the podcast, like over the past yeah. month or so, just mentioning, you know, how how he sort of went off the deep end there for a while into the world of motion capture and all of that. But if this is going to be sort of a return to form to the Who Framed Roger Rabbit era, yeah, count me in. I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah, I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And this sounds like it's like Space Jam without the sports. And as a TV series, that sounds like a win, win, win for me. Uh, Jacob, what do you think? I'll know it when I see it. I'm actually more excited. <laughs> I'm more excited for the announcement of um, like was a thousand minutes of new Looney Tunes cartoons than I am for wherever Zemeckis wants to dig out of his grave at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but there's a ton of stuff in this list, like uh, things that have been announced, you know, over the past like couple years. I compiled all of it, so there's like. I don't know. I didn't do a final count of how many shows and movies that were announced, but it's a lot. So definitely click that link if you're interested. Yes. Okay. Let's um let's talk about what is going to be different about this service because you know everybody everybody's creating a service nowadays. What makes HBO Max different? Um, I know that they were talking about that. Uh, you know, we're staring at these wall of tiles. We go to Netflix and they were using these statistics of like like the average person like spends 20 minutes going through those tiles before they can find something to watch. And then there's like a big percentage of people that like end up turning off the TV and not watching anything at all. Um, it is kind of da- daunting because it's, to, to find what you want to watch now that everything is available. So, Ben, how does HBO Max intend to combat that? Yeah, so they have this thing that they're introducing called human-powered discovery, or at least that's what they're referring to it internally. Um, But basically what it is is like human recommendations. um, And the example that they showed during this presentation involved Zac Efron, the star of Neighbors and High School Musical, and he was talking about why he loves The Exorcist. And there was a video that you could watch uh, of him, like a video interview of him talking about the movie and how he watched it when he was a kid and he was too young to see it and all of this and very personal. And then um, you could just add that movie to your queue from there. And there's actually a, a way that you can browse other recommendations that he has made. So Efron is only going to be one of many different, uh, you know, actors and talent. And they also say the word influencers who are going to be the people utilized in this uh in this feature i'm a little wary of the influencer thing but maybe that will connect to the younger crowd who subscribes to uh hbo max so that's a a kind of a cool way for them to um yeah separate themselves from the crowd a little bit and they also have this really cool thing that i thought was um that was interesting that i don't think any other streaming service is doing um they're calling it co-viewing so you may have been logged into your profile on netflix for example and i don't know maybe like a niece or nephew came over and you ended up watching uh, a kid's movie or a piece of, of children's programming that you wouldn't have otherwise watched and then once they're gone Netflix doesn't know that they're gone, so they keep recommending you stuff, you know, for kids, and it completely screws up the algorithm and and messes with your preferences. So I, I think a lot of people they said in this presentation 
there are a lot of people that have like burner accounts that they set up, you know, specifically so their their preferences don't get messed with. But HBO Max is, is trying to do away with all of that and make it easy for people because they have this thing called co-viewing where essentially when each member of a family will have their own personalized profile and they will get recommendations, you know, specific to them. But if they're watching the same thing at the same time, you can sort of essentially log in to two accounts simultaneously and tell HBO Max that both of you are watching this thing. And then you can get personalized recommendations based on the content that is watched on that profile only. And it doesn't affect, you know, the individual ones. So it's, it's a really cool way to, um, yeah, just make things easier for people and, and you don't have to deal with burner accounts or like scrolling <laughs> through a bunch of recommendations that don't actually apply to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I will say that while the UI of the service, because they showed us like some sample of of what, what the what the thing's going to look like, it does kind of look a little bit like HBO now, but it does have some 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 visual flares that kind of put it in like it's what I wanted Disney Plus to do. Like Disney Plus looks so much like Netflix, like it doesn't really look different. It's just a bunch of tiles, and this is like using movie posters, and it's using um, like the whole thing, almost like Disney Plus. Like they have like those six different categories that things step in. There's like you can pull down, and then you can. I don't, I'm not even sure. There's like a dozen different categories here. So there's like TNT, HBO, you know, like all those different categories. And you can go into those brands themselves, which is kind of interesting. Um, but another question I think people have about this is, will these shows be released like Netflix in like one whole lump sum for us to binge watch? Or are they going to be released week to week like Game of Thrones? Jacob, do we know the answer to that? We do, even though it was presented in the most abstract, cumbersome way possible. Uh, HBO Max's Kevin Riley said this about the release method. Our Max original rollout strategy will also be curated based on a specific piece of content, but will largely mirror the weekly HBO release pattern. <laughs> so that means that some shows may be released in alternate ways, but most of them will be released weekly. Uh, he also went on to say, our creators also see the difference in rolling out shows gradually and letting them breathe. Hits like Succession and Chernobyl became part of the zeitgeist with a weekly release schedule rather than fading quickly after a binge and burn. We know people love to binge, and on HBO Max, you can binge previous seasons and library content to your heart's desire. So this is a comment of trying to have your cake and eat it too. I'm saying, if you want to binge, we have tens of thousands of hours of old shows you can watch. But otherwise, we're going to keep it weekly because it works for us. And he's right. I mean, I think we are proof he's right because, guys, we're devoting one episode a week of this podcast to Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen, yeah. whereas we talk about Stranger Things season three for two days and it's gone. So I think this is this is the way it's got to be for the oh, future, right? And I, I've talked to people who have watched Westworld in like one day and like they do not enjoy it on the level that I feel like I watched Westworld and having those discussions week to week, kind of like the old days with Lost. Um, do you, th Ben, I'm wondering what you think. Do you think, you know, now that we're seeing this with Disney Plus, they're releasing things week to week, HBO Max, like, are we going to see things go back in the other direction? It certainly seems that way. And I would love for that to happen because as you mentioned, Jacob, it's, it's, it just gives you some time to breathe. And it also gives shows a chance to, you know, catch on in, in a bigger way than they would have otherwise. Because if you miss that, you know, if you're out of town for the, the weekend that Stranger Things 3 drops, 
God help you because the conversation is basically over by the time you get back and like, that's it. But you can easily catch up on one or two episodes and then be, you know, watching it live with everybody else for the rest of the run uh, if it's played out weekly. So I, I, yeah, I, I love that um, concept. And I, I hope that more of these companies are um, going to use that as a, as ammunition against Netflix, because that that was the game changing thing that Netflix introduced. And, you know, that was their like disrupting tactic into the marketplace. But now it could be the thing that ends up hampering them a little bit if all of these other services decide to go back to the the way it was. Yeah, I know this is anecdotal, but my Game of Thrones watch party, my who watched all eight seasons together and like grew from like four people like to, to like 15 people by the end. We moved right into Watchmen. We watch Watchmen together now. And without blinking because it's hbo it's an event we sit around and talk about it before and after and it becomes something special whereas we we don't get together to watch a binge of netflix series whereas we we carve out an hour every sunday to make sure we're all in the room for Watchmen. so i think hbo max knows this Hmm. okay let's uh let's talk about the the details here let's talk about how much will this cost how does this compare to other streaming services actually ben let's start first with you uh do we know a release date and do we have pricing? Yeah, May 2020 is the release date and the price is going to be 14.99 a month. There were actually rumors earlier this summer that suggested it might cost as much as $17 a month, but it seems like they found a way to sort of drop that a little bit. So 14.99 a month is actually still the most expensive of the major uh, rival streaming services. So Netflix's standard plan is $12.99. Amazon Prime is also $12.99. Hulu has an $11.99 uh, uh, pricing structure without ads. Uh, Disney Plus obviously is at $6.99. And then Apple TV Plus, which launches, I think, this Friday, is at $4.99 a month. So um, yeah, $14.99 kind of seems a little steep, but they have a lot of stuff on this uh, on this platform. And that's what they're they're going for. So, um, yeah, well, that's May 2020. Well, we're already paying what, like 12, 13 bucks for HBO at this point? I think I th- from what I understand, HBO now also costs $14.99. Oh, so is it $14.99? It, wow. Yeah. So I think um, I, it, so here's the thing. HBO <laughs> and Warner Media have been a little vague about exactly how all of this is going to work in terms of like the transition. And if you're subscribed to one place, will you automatically be subscribed to the next one? How does this you know, how does this work? Um, my understanding is that HBO now is still going to exist after this uh, HBO Max debuts. But I don't know why anybody would continue subscribing to it because all of the content that you have access to on HBO Now is also going to be on HBO Max. And for the same price, you get so much more with HBO Max. So I don't know if they're going to eventually phase that out or what. They they didn't make that clear uh, during the presentation yesterday. And there are also some questions about like, okay, so I have an HBO subscription do I get HBO Max for free? And that seems to be something that's sort of, uh, <laughs> you have to really pay attention to the details to figure out the answer to that question. So if you subscribe to HBO through an AT&T video service, then the answer is yes. But if you don't, if you, like me, are a subscriber through like Spectrum or Verizon Fios or Xfinity or something like that, then we don't know the answer yet because Warner Media is actually in talks with those distributors right now and their hope is that people will be able to make that transition for free, but it's up to whether or not they can strike deals with these other distributors. So um, it also has to do like with HBO Now, if you subscribe directly through HBO Now's website, then 
yes, you will have free access to HBO Max. But if you signed up through it uh, through Apple or Amazon Prime, I think deals have to be struck with those companies before the the shift can be made. So there's a lot. You basically, you'll just have to you know figure it out on a case by case basis. Um, I think that's something that HBO is going to have to really. Um, they have a lot of work to do between now and May 2020 to make it clear to people you know, what what they need to do to subscribe to this thing. But uh, as of right now, that's what we know. I will say this. I'm kind of surprised at how much content that HBO Na- uh, Max will have. And it really seems like a very competitive service in comparison to the other services. Uh, but, e- e- you know, even though it's the highest price, uh, Jacob, I know Chris did a comparison on the site uh, between these services. Like, how does HBO Max compare in terms of, like, content? It's interesting. But yeah, Chris put together a little uh, article that's just a breakdown of what everything costs, how many shows and movies they have. And if you want to see like a straight straight comparison of all of them, it's worth clicking on the link and checking it out in the show notes. But yeah, HBO Max, it is higher end, more expensive. It is sort of the mid-tier of um, content. It doesn't have as much as like Amazon Prime, but it has more than a lot of other places as well. So it's follow an interesting place. So what they seem to be betting on having the quality library that you, that you would pay more for. They're betting on you saying, look at the Warner Brothers archive, look at the classic movies we have, look at HBO's lineup of stuff, pay a little more, uh, maybe not have as much overall compared to um, you know, another service, but uh, you're going to have a much better track record of clicking on things you actively want to watch. And I don't know, this presentation last night, Peter, um, was often a snooze because it was, it was pitched toward people who weren't movie and TV people. It was pitched toward business people. Yeah. Uh, but reading between the lines and looking at, you know, the stuff that's different and new about this makes me think that this is going to be something that people who are genuine movie fans and TV fans are going to want to consider because, like, more so than, like, Disney+. Plus. Like, I'm excited for a new Star Wars TV show on Disney+, Plus, but you really cannot beat the variety uh, of the Warner Brothers and HBO archive. I, I really think that... Um, this is a very enticing package, especially if you can afford that fourteen ninety nine a month. Which, and since I'm already paying for HBO now, I can. So yeah, I'm 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 getting this. Yeah, and just to be clear, the the uh, HBO archive in its entirety, as far as I know, will be available on HBO Max. But the entirety of the Warner Brothers archive is not going to be available at launch, at least. They might make that whole thing available at some times. But you know, the the whole thing about the Turner Classic Movies team up with Citizen Kane and Singing in the Rain and all that. They they name checked those specific movies for a reason because they they aren't just opening the floodgates for the entire you know catalog of Warner Brothers movies. Um, so it's unclear if maybe there's some distribution stuff that they still have to figure out some contract things here and there. Um, but I, I hope that one day they will put the entirety of you know every movie that Warner Brothers ever made on on there. Um, but yeah, just as of right now, I don't want people to hear this and be like, oh wow, we get access to this full thing just in case we didn't you know make that 100% clear but um, yeah I, I'll be clarify I, I think the promise of the Warner Brothers archive I think the, the titles you've already mentioned along, along with the, what they could add in the future that is a deep bench of that's a century's worth of amazing movies uh and I'm I'm very very excited to see what they do add and hope that the fact they had an entire segment dedicated to Turner Classic Movies and talking about Casablanca and Citizen Kane you don't see Netflix being proud of having old movies on, on, on a streaming service. You don't right. see that. So I would I, I want to loudly encourage Warner Brothers to keep this up because if they, I will pay for this indefinitely if they keep on cycling on older movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have the data in front of me, but I remember they brought out these statistics that were basically saying that 
the majority of what people watch on streaming service. And I'm not sure where they get this information. I'm guessing it's a third party like Nielsen because Netflix doesn't release this data. And they had like Netflix and Amazon data. Um, but they were basically saying that the majority of what people watch on Netflix is like the popular top like five or ten percent of the things. So it, and then they, they went on to basically announce a thousand things so they were they were saying that it's about <laughs> quality over quantity and then we we're like look at how much quantity we have so uh i don't know it, it, it's interesting i it's i feel like now with all these i feel like we're gonna have to have all these services maybe not the peacock but i'm gonna have to subscribe to hbo max i'm gonna have to subscribe to disney plus uh apple tv plus i maybe that is a maybe on some people's books i think netflix is a must-have Hulu is a, uh, is probably a must have. Amazon Prime is a must have just for like delivery of stuff. Never mind their video, video content. Like I feel like at the end of the day, you know, in addition to what you're whatever you're paying for cable or whatever st- streaming cable service you have, it's going to cost us like double the price of what we were paying. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is we'll have access to a lot more things. Yeah, because there's so much time in the day to watch a billion hours of content all the time. But, but you know, I'll be I'll be double accurate here. I am happy to pay a l- more than I was in the past because, unlike paying a flat cable bill where I have access to hundreds of channels I will never even lay my eyes on, I'm paying more for services where I, which are have deep benches of things that I actively want and will not ignore. So I, I'm, you know what? I'll I'll be that guy who says, yeah, I'll I'll pay a little bit more for my a la carte approach. That, but. Maybe it's because I have the disposable income in this area. I don't know. I just wish I could buy a channel, you know, a la carte. Because, like, uh, we'll probably talk about this on a future episode of this this podcast, but the the cable service I use is PlayStation View, and they just announced they're shutting down in January. So I I had to go looking for a new cable service uh, yesterday. I was, like, doing the research. And it's, like, even for the cheapest cable service, like – I just want to be able to watch Survivor on the night that it comes out on, you know, Penn and Teller Fool Us on the night that it comes You know, there's like three different things that I want to be able to watch on the night it comes out on. If if it wasn't for that, I would just buy all my shows a la carte through like iTunes or something. But I don't want to wait until the next day to get them. And it's, uh, I don't know. Is, is that dream gone? Like it now seems like that was the dream of like these streaming services that we would eventually be able to do this a la carte thing. And now it just seems like everything's getting segregated into different packages. Yeah. Yeah. That dream is dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's so sad, but I think that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, you can find more info on HBO max and everything we talked about in the show notes. You can find us on slash home.com. You can find this podcast slash home daily published every weekday on iTunes, Google overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash home.com. By the way, I have heard from a couple of the dozens of people that listen to this podcast on uh, you know a faster speed telling me I'm wrong. We'll, we'll probably get into those emails at a later point. Monsters. Monsters, a lot of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming. <laughs> uh, and uh, Yes, please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.